Well, welcome to the next edition of Business Law Focus. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome Dario Milo, a partner at Weber Wenzel, to the show today. Dario, thanks for joining us. Great having you. Well, thanks so much, Evan, and nice to speak to you. Now, you've done some interesting research into a very important topic. Um, obviously, we've got Zondo, we've got corruption, and the role played by politicians in state capture is top of mind at the moment. But the institutions that give rise to democracy become important. And one of these is obviously how elections are run becomes very important, corruption being the big theme. And now what we have had is um, on April the 1st, we actually had the Political Party Funding Act coming into force, which is quite important. Now, I just wanted to um, to start with the sense of where we are with democracy. I know we're heading into local government elections, and the president made it clear that he still wants to have these elections in, in October. We're also heading into democratic elections in 2024. But if you look at Afrobarometer, um, recent research, satisfaction with how democracy is working has declined dramatically. It was 60%, it's down to 42%. Uh, it's quite significant, um, Daria. So, so maybe let's, in that sense, start the discussion with, does the Political Party Funding Act come in to actually start improving the way democracy is run, and, and how will that happen? Well, I think it will, because I'm an optimist, Evan, and, and also because it is such a critical aspect of our political um, speech and political... Um, expression rights is, is to enable voters to have as much information as possible about the parties and the, the politicians that they are voting for. And in that context, of course, uh, and, and this has been a long time coming, mm. um, you know, there have been uh, various uh, forms of activism over the years yep. to try and get political parties be more transparent about about donations because the the bottom line from a, a democracy rationale perspective is that you know as the public we have a right to know who the donors are major donors to political parties so that the investigative journalists the investigative journalists can do what they do best and examine whether there's been any um, any favours that were unwarranted that were mm -hmm. granted so that I as a voter can decide I don't particularly like the fact that. Um, this p p political party takes a lot of money from um, a particular source, etc., etc. So mm. um, having this form of transparency and this level of transparency is, is in my view, absolutely critical to um, a democracy, a participatory democracy. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's been a long time coming, but I'm glad that the legislation mm. is now here. Um, of course, becoming law on April Fool's Day this year. <laughs> now, of course, the playing field as a whole, when you look at the spectrum of political parties, we have got quite a few, of course, representative uh, democracy, but the playing field itself has not been level. Is this going to level that playing field to, to a large degree? Well, I don't think it will level the playing field um, as much as at least allow us a line of sight as no. members of the public. Yeah. Uh, to exactly what money political parties have. I mean, there, there, there are two sort of major sources. The one for the funding, the one is um, money that comes from Parliament itself, of course, which is allocated to political parties, and that's always been there. Um, then there is now the ability for um, for private actors, say corporations, to make a donation not to one particular political party, but basically to to all political parties right. who are registered by putting the money into um, through the IEC into a multi-party democracy fund. 
and then that gets allocated according to a particular formula to political parties, depending on how big they are, but also big in terms of how much share of, of, of parliament, parliament seats they have, but also on an equitable basis. So that's the one way. And then, Evan, of course, the, the way that is, um, is of quite critical concern is where you have a, a, a funder who donates directly to a political party. And I think that's where this legislation is particularly useful in creating the form of transparency that wasn't there before the Act. And of course, interestingly, that the um, the fulcrum of this actually started way back in 2005 with the Institute for Democracy in Africa um, took the five major political co- uh, parties to court to reveal their sources of funding. Now, that's going way back. Um, and they actually took them there in, in terms of the promotion of access to Information Act, the PIA Act. But they lost, didn't they? Um, so that was quite significant. And then, obviously, that was challenged um, as late as 2017 in the Constitutional Court. Um, and, and it actually revolved around the validity of PIA, didn't it? I mean, that was quite interesting how we got here. It is very interesting that this comes off the back of PIA um, litigation, as you say, litigation around the promotion of Access to Information Act. Um, and the, the bottom line there before all these changes was that because a political party is a private body, under PIA, you know, PIA makes a distinction between private bodies and public bodies, yeah. and and political a political party is a, is a private body, a private organisation. Um, there aren't automatic disclosure requirements under PIA. Under PIA, if you are a public body, um, effectively the default is that um, when someone requ- requests a record of a public body, um, let's say the, the the Ministry of Police. Um, the default is that that document has to be provided unless there's a good reason in PIA why you shouldn't provide it, like confidentiality or um, it's classified or whatever the case may be. With private bodies, in addition to to um, all of those grounds, you have to first prove that you need the information to exercise or protect a right. And um, and so what, what uh, NGOs did uh, originally uh, many years ago, 2005, etc., in trying to get this kind of information is they said, well, access to information um, should uh, allow me to get information of this kind because it's important for my right to exercise political choices and my right to vote. That never found favor um, in our courts, that kind of argument, which, which used PIA in its existing form. Um, but then what my vote counts succeeded in doing in, in 2017, Evan, is they succeeded in persuading the, the Constitutional Court that to the extent that PIA didn't allow for this kind of disclosure, it was unconstitutional and it, it was um, under-inclusive. So the, le- the legislation that then emerges um, out of that process is the political uh, Party Political Funding Act and also, of course, uh, in addition to the Political Party Funding Act, it's amendments to PIA, which now regulates the fact that political parties have to keep records, which um, members of the public could ultimately access. And of course, there are a couple of interesting prohibitions, of course, where you know we, we're getting around some of the um, fast and loose um, ways that uh, potentially favours were provided by people. I see one of the prohibi- uh, prohibitions, for instance, is that certain donations... Um, you know, must be made uh, or prevented from being made directly to political parties, which is quite significant, isn't it? Well, yeah, there, there are various limitations. You're quite right. I mean, look, the, the first point is that there's a regime of disclosure. So the way this works is that 
um, the political party who receives a donation has to disclose this to the IEC and there is an online system that's been created whereby the disclosures will take place. But in addition to that, it's almost a belts and braces approach. Um, a juristic person who's made the, discl- the, the donation must also disclose. So, you know, it, 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 the idea is that you'll catch the donation either through the disclosure by the political party or the disclosure by the juristic person, and, of course, ideally both. A um, couple of limitations, though. The one is it's only donations over 100,000 Rand. Okay. Um, so if you donate 99,000 Rand to a political party, that arbitrary limit of 100,000 Rand is set. I appreciate some sort of limit has to be there, but yeah. uh, that, that's the, the one, I suppose, loophole, you could call it. Um, the, the other uh, restriction is, interestingly, natural persons, individuals who donate, don't have to disclose. Um, the disclosure has to still happen from the political party side, but that belts and braces, checks and check and balance that I was talking about, where a juristic person must also disclose, doesn't apply with a natural person. So if you get a, a very rich businessman donating 10 million rand to the Democratic Alliance or the ANC, um, the political party would have to disclose that. But the rich businessman who's doing it in his own capacity and not, you know, you're not, not a company of anything, of any kind or something like that would, would not have to disclose it. Um, I, you know, theoretically the disclosure should still, uh, see the light of day because of the obligation by the political party, party. to do so. Yeah. But it is to me quite, uh, quite significant and I don't know why there is this loophole, but I would have thought that you should extend the obligation to disclose to natural persons, not just to juristic persons as well. Of course. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And of course the, um, the regulation of direct donations. Um, also has a limit, um, which can't be more than 15 yes. million rand. Um, that, that's, uh, you know, it's a fairly high um, watermark in, in a way, but um, it, it certainly seems like it's, um, you know, like it's a step in the right direction there as well. Well, that, that's right. I, I think that is a justifiable limit. It is, as you say, still a, a significant amount of, of money, 15 mm. million being the, uh, the, the upper limits that a political party can receive by way of private donation from any particular individual or um, or entity uh, and 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 the idea there is so that of course um, you know you can't have a particular uh, corporation say a bosasa um, type of organization yeah. um, you know flipping a political party with with uh, millions and millions hundreds of millions of rand to ensure that they are able to to use that money ultimately um, potentially at least to um, to award favors to the to the donor so there, there is that that limit it's still fairly high but at least um, there is some limit which is defensible that is set in the legislation and of course the other thing is that political parties are not allowed to receive funding this will be an interesting one to see how it pans out in practice which are reasonably believed to be the um, the proceeds of crime uh-huh. so um, you know uh, presumably, uh, you know, companies that are owned by the Guptas in, in, in the days when um, the Gupta corporations were uh, very effective, unfortunately, in South Africa in, in, in um, capturing the state, um, to the extent that political parties had a reasonable suspicion that some of this, this may have been the proceeds of crime, uh, you know, that hypothetically back then would have been a reason to say we can't accept this money. So that's another limitation that exists in the current legislation. Yeah, and of course, uh, if you look at some of the definitions, um, the donation in kind, 
is 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 rather interesting um, because what what it says is that it includes the provision of services for the use or benefit of a political party, but then they go on to say other than on commercial terms. Yet commercial terms is not defined. So that's a potential loophole um, by the sounds of things. Evan, I think I think it is uh, it is something that is going to require quite a bit of jurisprudence to develop around around what is meant by that. I mean, yeah. so the idea is, of course, that it's not just a money donation, you know, yeah. 10 million rand donation, million rand, where it's cash being transferred from one bank account to another, you know, the classic form of donation. But any anything that would amount to what in law would be regarded as a donation, which is, a, is effectively, um, in terms of the definition, and it's, it's not exhaustive, it's if you lend money to a political party, for example, the, uh, other than on commercial terms. So an interest-free loan would clearly be a donation. Yep. Um, uh, if you if you pay a political party's expenses on behalf of that political party, so you pay for a conference or something, or um, you know flights uh, for um, members of the political party to congregate, that would be a donation. Um, and then, interesting, as you say, um, the loan on not on commercial terms, as I've mentioned, but also the provision of assets uh, or services other than on commercial terms. So, if you are a graphic design company and you agree to take on a, a piece of work for a political party, and you don't charge commercial terms, um, that would be a donation in kind. And if it's over the threshold of a hundred thousand rand in in value. Um, it would have to be declared by the by the corporation and the political party. Uh, it, it does beg the question, of course. You know, um, we know that corporates are in the business of, uh, you know, of granting discounts on occasion mm-hmm. to to customers, etc. So, if you discount the services you give to a political party, um, you might be tempted to say, "Well, that's not on commercial terms." But you'd have to first ask what the practice would be of that particular corporation with other clients uh, operating at arm's length. So it doesn't necessarily, to my mind, mean that a, um, uh, for example, a discount necessarily means a donation in kind. You'd have to look at the specific facts. But when in doubt, Evan, as I always say when interpreting legislation, go back to the rationale and the objectives. And the objective is to catch within the net of donations anything whereby, you know, it's important for the public to know that um, that a particular corporation or, or person is um, is donating either in kind or um, in money to a political party because that's information that as citizens we have a right to know. Um, and so it, it, it will be, uh, it, it's clear to me that it will, of course, be quite broadly interpreted, yes. um, the, the duty to disclose and what a donation uh, what constitutes a donation? It will be broadly interpreted, and and both the, the definition of donation, as well as donation in kind that we've been talking about, are both non-exhaustive definitions. So mm. they don't purport to cover the field of what might, you know, what what might constitute a donation on 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 a particular set of facts. Understood. Yeah. No, that that's fabulous. I think that's something to to both keep in mind, but also you know the rationale should be the bedrock. Of, of how this is interpreted and um, let's hope that there's not going to be firstly a free-for-all or the need for back and forth too much um, through the courts to, to get you know to get ahead of this and to start managing things which leads me to my last question really which is you know the IAC itself 
um, you know, has, has got a, a, it's had its ups and downs in the past. Now, it has a central role to play here. You mentioned the online system. That'll have to be set up. Um, the capacity within the IEC becomes very important here. And the, the important point here is how do we enforce all of these regulations? Because that's going to be a, an additional role for the IEC, which has, you know, it has struggled in the past with capacity. I mean, do, do you see that actually happening? And maybe just tell us, um, what the enforcement will entail, because that becomes critical. Evan, you're, you're quite right, and, and you know, just like other legislation, um, it's only it's only worth uh, the piece of paper it's written on if it's mm -hmm. not enforced. Yeah. So you're quite right, and and you're also right that it's essentially the power is granted to the IEC, the Commission, to monitor and to uh, ensure that there's compliance by political parties. Um, so uh, there, there are, for example, extensive inspection powers in the legislation where they are empowered to request information from from any person, not just a political party, okay. about um, books and records and accounts, etc. Um, and and there are, there's quite a little, there's, there's quite a bit of, um, of sanction power because the IEC can issue directions, it can um, ultimately... Um, you know, uh, suspend the payment of money to a political party where there's been um, payment that has been uh, been received, uh, you know, in, in contravention of the legislation, okay. um, and it can it can sue the political party concerned, um, recovering money in a in a civil claim, for example. Um, I should also add that it can approach the electoral court to impose an administrative fine um, on uh, on on anyone on any person that has uh, contravened the legislation. So, the, in theory, the powers are all there, and all the right things are being said in the legislation about, you know, what uh, the powers of, are, are of the Commission to enforce compliance with the Act. But like so many government bodies, um, Evan, I agree, it's going to be down to capacity. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, the additional powers granted to the IEC means in this legislation um, you know, means that they, there's going to be uh, a need for more resources to be yeah. thrown at the IC, both in terms of uh, funding and in terms of personnel to police this. Uh, and, and one hopes and, um, that, that that will occur because, you know, it is really such an important development in our democratic life to have this kind of transparency and funding. And um, if it's not being properly enforced with the, the kind of rigour uh, and resources that are required, it'll it'll all be for nothing. So um, you, you're right; it is down to enforcement, and that's going to depend on whether the IC has the the right skills to do it, and and is given the support by government from a funding and a and a ability to uh, potentially increase their uh, workforce perspective. Dario, just a, a last point from my side um, for certainty for the business and the economy. You know, this is a business law focus podcast. I mean, this this type of thing is important, right? We need um, improved sentiment. We need better business sentiment out there. Um, policy and politics and a stable democracy, stable institutions are critical, right? So uh, just your sense, lastly, on, you know, this is probably a, a good signal for the business community getting this economy back on track as well, if you think a bit more broadly. Well, I think that's right in two respects. Firstly, as you say, generally, um, you know, corporates and business have an acute, acutely important role to play in the political life of the country mm -hmm. um, and in supporting the, um, our representative democracy. 
Um, and secondly, more specifically, and, and already we, you know, um, one, one sees that this will be, I think, quite attractive, is that, you, you, you know, there's no doubt that we need political parties in our multi-party democracy. Yep. There's no doubt that we, that political parties need money to function effectively. And those are two realities of political life. Um, and, and it seems to me that one of the um, attract, one of the sort of quite attractive mechanisms in the, the political party funding act for corporates out there who want to support the importance of, of um, representative mm. democracy, but don't necessarily want to donate to a specific and only one or, yeah. or two political parties. They have the ability to then donate into the uh, multi-party democracy fund, which will then be distributed according to the formula um, on a representative, um, you know, proportional and um, yeah. equitable basis. So, um, you know, there, there, there's there's that kind of mechanism where politi- political parties could benefit from the largesse of corporations, but could benefit in a way that um, that doesn't favour any particular political party. Um, you know, uh, assuming that the formula is is a reasonable one that has been chosen by the legislature. So I think there are various opportunities where corporates can look to the legislation, look to what role they can play as active corporate citizens in our democracy. And of course, the transparency rationale should be embraced by by business because the more transparency there is um, with money flow of this kind, the better it is generally for our economy, I think, and for our democracy. Wonderful. Dario, thanks very much for the time and great chatting to you. It's an important point. It's an important um, kind of time uh, for our democracy. And and this legislation certainly is most intriguing. Um, Thanks for unpacking it. Um, in understandable terms, there's really important points that you make there. I think the two uh, that come out for me the most are that this will provide greater transparency to the public on the inner workings of political parties. That's long overdue, but it will also force political parties to be more accountable to the public. And I think that'll be really powerful. So, Daria, thanks very much for the time. It's been great chatting. Thank you. Thank you so much, Evan, and the listeners.